0: Chapter Twenty-Two of *The Man from Glengarry*. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bruce Peary. *The Man from Glengarry: A Tale of the Ottawa* by Ralph Connor. Chapter Twenty-Two. Forget that I loved you. The night for dreaming, but the morn for seeing, and so Ranald found it, for with the cold calm light of the morning he found himself facing his battle with small sense of victory in his blood he knew he had to deal that morning with the crisis of his life upon the issue his whole future would turn but his heart without haste or pause preserved its even beat the hour of indecision had passed he saw his way and he meant to walk it what was beyond the turn was hid from his eyes But with that he need not concern himself now. Meantime he would clear away some of this accumulated correspondence lying on his desk. In the midst of his work Harry came in and laid a bundle of bills before him. Here you are, old chap, he said quietly. That's the last of it. Ranald counted the money. You are sure you can spare all this? There's no hurry, you know. No, said Harry, I can't spare it, but it's safer with you than with me and besides it's yours and i owe you more than money he drew a deep breath to steady himself and then went on and i want to say ranald that i have bet my last stake ranald pushed back his chair and rose to his feet now that's the best thing i've heard for some time he said offering harry his hand and that's the last of that business He sat down, drew in his chair, and, turning over his papers, with a nervousness that he rarely showed, he continued, "'And, Harry, I want you to do something for me. Before you go home this afternoon, will you come in here? I may want to send a note to Mamie by you.' "'But,' began Harry, "'wait a moment. I want to prevent all possibility of mistake. There may be a reply, and, Harry, old chap, I'd rather not answer any questions.' Harry gazed at him a moment in perplexity. All right, Ranald, he said quietly, you can trust me. I haven't the ghost of an idea what's up, but I know you're square. Thanks, old fellow, said Ranald. I will never give you reason to change your opinion. Now get out, I'm awfully busy. For some minutes after Harry had left the room, Ranald sat gazing before him into space poor chap he's got his fight too but i begin to think he'll win he said to himself and once more returned to his work he had hardly begun his writing when the inner door of his office opened and mr sinclair came in his welcome was kindly and cordial and ranald's heart which had been under strong discipline all morning leaped up in warm response you had a pleasant trip i hope inquired mr sinclair fine most of the way through may and june the flies were bad but not so bad as usual they said and one gets used to them good sport never saw anything like it what a country that is cried ranald his enthusiasm carrying him away fishing of all kinds and superb in those little lonely lakes you get the finest black and white bass beauties and so gamey in the bigger waters, mascalonge, and, of course, any amount of pike and pickerel. Then we were always running up against deer, moose and red, and everywhere we got the scent of bear. Could have loaded a boat with furs in a week. "'We must go up some day,' replied Mr. Sinclair. "'Wish I could get away this fall, but the fact is we are in shallow water, "'Ranald, and we can't take any chances.' "'Ranald knew, well, how serious the situation was.' but continued mr sinclair this offer of the british american lumber and coal company is most fortunate and will be the saving of us with one hundred thousand set free we are certain to pull through this season and indeed the financial stringency will rather help than hinder our operations really it is most fortunate indeed he added with a slight laugh as my sister-in-law would say quite providential "'I have no doubt of that,' said Ranald, gravely. "'But, Mr. Sinclair—' "'Yes, no doubt, no doubt,' said Mr. Sinclair, hastening to recover the tone, which by his unfortunate reference to Mrs. Murray he had lost. The thought of her was not in perfect harmony with purely commercial considerations. "'The fact is,' he continued, "'that before this offer came I was really beginning to despair. I can tell you that now.' ranald felt his heart tighten one does not mind for oneself but when family interests are involved but that's all over now thank god ranald tried to speak but his mind refused to suggest words his silence however was enough for mr sinclair who with nervous haste once more changed the theme In my note to you last night, you got it, I suppose, I referred to some changes in the firm." Ranald felt that he was being crowded against the ropes. He must get to freer fighting-ground. "'I think before you go on to that, Mr. Sinclair,' he began, "'I ought to—' "'Excuse me, I was about to say,' interrupted Mr. Sinclair, hastily, "'Mr. Raymond and I have felt that we must strengthen our executive as you know he has left this department almost entirely to me and he now realizes what i have long felt that the burden has grown too heavy for one to carry naturally we think of you and i may say we are more than glad though it is a very unusual thing in the business world that we can with the fullest confidence offer you a partnership mr sinclair paused to allow the full weight of this announcement to sink into his manager's mind then ranald pulled himself together he must break free or the fight would be lost before he had struck a blow i need not say he began once more how greatly gratified i am by this offer and i feel sure you will believe that i am deeply grateful ranald's voice was low and even but unknown to himself there was in it a tone of stern resolve that struck mr Sinclair's ear he knew his manager that tone meant war hastily he changed his front yes yes we are quite sure of that he said with increasing nervousness but we are thinking of our own interests as well as yours indeed i feel sure Here his voice became even more kindly and confidential, that in advancing your position and prospects, we are, I am only doing what will bring myself the greatest satisfaction in the end. For you know, Ranald, I, we, do not regard you as a stranger. Ranald winced and grew pale. We, my family, have always felt toward you as— well in fact as if you were one of us mr sinclair had delivered his last and deadliest blow and it found ranald's heart but with pain blanching his cheek ranald stood up determined to end the fight it was by no means easy for him to strike before him he saw not this man with his ingenious and specious pleading It would not have been a difficult matter to have brushed him aside, but he was looking into the blue eyes of the woman he had for seven years loved more than he loved his life, and he knew that when his blow fell it would fall upon the face that only a few hours ago had smiled upon him, and upon the lips that had whispered to him, I will remember, Ranald. Yet he was none the less resolved. With face set and bloodless, and eyes of gleaming fire, he faced the man that represented what was at once dearest in life, and what was most loathsome in conduct. "Give me a moment, mr Sinclair," he said, with a note of authority in his tone. You have made me an offer of a position such as I could hardly hope to expect for years to come. But I value it chiefly because it means you have absolute confidence in me. You believe in my ability and in my integrity. I am determined that you will never have cause to change your opinion of me. You are about to complete a deal involving a very large sum of money. I have a report here, tapping his desk, which you have not yet seen.' "'It really doesn't matter,' interjected Mr. Sinclair. "'You see, my dear fellow, it matters to me. It is a report which not only you ought to have, but which, in justice, the buyer of the Bass River Limits ought to see. That report, Mr. Sinclair, ought to be given to Colonel Thorpe.' "'This is sheer folly!' exclaimed Mr. Sinclair impatiently. "'It is the only honourable course.' do you mean to insult me sir there is only one other thing i would rather not do said ranald in a grave voice and that is refuse colonel thorpe the information he is entitled to from us sir exclaimed mr st this is outrageous and i demand an apology or your resignation colonel thorpe announced a clerk opening the door tell colonel thorpe i cannot ah colonel thorpe i am glad to see you "'Will you step this way?' opening the door leading to his own office. The colonel, a tall, raw-boned, typical Uncle Sam, even to the chin-whisker and quid of tobacco, had an eye like an eagle. He shot a keen glance at Mr. Sinclair, and then at Ranald. "'Yes,' he said, helping himself to a chair. "'This here's all right. This is your manager, eh?' "'Mr. MacDonald,' said Mr. Sinclair, introducing him how do you do heard about you some said the colonel shaking hands with him quite a knocker i believe well you rather look like it used to do some myself been up north so the boss says good country eh fine sporting country colonel interrupted sinclair the game mr Macdonald says come right into your tent and beg to be shot do eh the colonel's eagle eye lighted up now what sort of game almost every kind colonel replied ranald don't say used to do a little myself moose yes i saw a number of moose and any amount of other deer and of course plenty of bear don't say how'd you come to leave them couldn't have done it myself by the great sam open timber well replied ranald slowly on the east of the bass river all that north-country colonel said mr st is pretty much the same i imagine a little of all kinds much water streams and such yes on the west side of the bass there is plenty of water a number of small streams and lakes But, oh all through that north-country colonel you are safe in having a canoe in your outfit said mr st again interrupting ranald lots of water eh just like maine <laughs> the colonel's quiet chuckle was good to hear reminds me here he put his hand into his inside pocket and pulled out a flask excuse the glass he said offering it to mr sinclair who took a slight sip and handed it back have a little refreshment said the colonel offering it to ranald i never take it thank you don't say by the great sam how'd you get through all that wet country "'Well, it will not hurt you to leave it alone,' solemnly winking at Sinclair, and taking a long pull himself. "'Good for the breath,' he continued, putting the flask in his pocket. "'Now, about those limits of mine, the boss here has been telling you about our deal?' "'A little,' said Ranald. "'We've hardly had time to look into anything yet,' said Mr. Sinclair. "'But if you will step into my office, Colonel, I have the papers and maps there.' mr sinclair's tone was anxious once more the colonel shot a glance at him you have been on the spot i judge he said to ranald rising and following mr sinclair yes over it all well come along you're the map we want eh maps are chiefly for purposes of deception i have found (laughs) and there ain't none of em right and he held the door for ranald to enter Mr. Sinclair was evidently annoyed. Unfolding a map, he laid it out on the table. "'This is the place, I believe,' he said, putting his finger down upon the map. "'Ain't surveyed, I judge,' said the colonel to Ranald. "'No, only in part. The old Salter lines are there, but I had to go away beyond these.' "'Warn't fraid of gettin' lost, eh? (laughs) Well, show us your route.' "'Ranald put his finger on the map, and said, "'I struck the Bass River about here, and, using that as a base, first explored the whole west side, for, I should say, "'about ten miles back from the river. "'Don't say. How'd you grub? Game, mostly?' "'Well, we carried some pork and Hudson Bay hardtack and tea, "'and, of course, we could get all the fish and game we wanted.' "'Lots of game, eh? Small and big.' the colonel was evidently much interested in this part of ranald's story by the great sam must go up there it would do you all the good in the world colonel said mr sinclair heartily you must really go up with your men and help them lay out the ground you know that's so now if you were lumbering in there how'd you get the timber out down the bass river to lake nipissing said ranald pointing out the route Yes, but how'd you get it to the bass? These limits, I understand, lie on both sides of the bass, don't they? Yes. And the bass cuts through it the short way? Yes. Well, does that mean six or eight or ten miles of a haul? On the west side, replied Ranald, no. There are a number of small streams and lakes which you could utilize. And on the east side? You see, Colonel, broke in Mr. Sinclair, that whole country is one network of waterways. Notice the map here, and there are always a number of lakes not marked." "'That is quite true,' said Ranald, as a rule. But on the east side—' "'Oh, of course,' said Mr. Sinclair hastily, "'you will find great differences in different parts of the country.' Mr. Sinclair folded up the map and threw it on the table. "'Let's see,' said the Colonel, taking up the map again. "'Now how about the camps, Mr. MacDonald? Where do you locate them?' "'I have a rough draft here in which the bases for camps are indicated,' said Ranald, ignoring the imploring and angry looks of his chief. "'Let's have a look at em said the Colonel. "'Oh, you haven't shown me this,' said Mr. Sinclair, taking the draft from Ranald. "'No, sir, you have not seen my final report.' No, not yet, of course, we have hardly had time yet, Colonel. But Mr. Macdonald will make a copy of this for you and send it in a day or two. replied Mr. Sinclair, folding up the sketch nervously and placing it on his desk. The colonel quietly picked up the sketch and opened it out. You have got that last report of yours, I suppose he said with a swift glance at Mr. Sinclair. That gentleman's face was pallid and damp, his whole fortune hung on Ranald's reply. It was, to him, a moment of agony. Ranald glanced at his face and paused. Then, drawing his lips a little tighter, he said, "'Colonel Thorpe, my final report has not yet been handed in. Mr. Sinclair has not seen it. In my judgment, here mr Sinclair leaned his hand hard upon his desk. You are getting full value for your money, but I would suggest that you go yourself or send your inspector to explore the limits carefully before you complete the deal. Colonel Thorpe, who had been carefully scanning the sketch in his hand, suddenly turned and looked Ranald steadily in the eye. These marks on the west side mean camps? Yes. There are very few on the east side. There are very few. The east side is inferior to the west. Much? Yes, much inferior. But in your opinion the limit is worth the figure? I would undertake to make money out of it. It is good value. The Colonel chewed hard for a minute. Then, turning to Mr. Sinclair, he said, Well, Mr. Sinclair, I'll give you one hundred thousand for your limit, but by the great Sam I'd give twice the sum for your manager if he's for sale. He's a man. The emphasis on the he was ever so slight, but it was enough. Mr. Sinclair bowed, and sinking down into his chair, busied himself with his papers. Well, said the Colonel, that's settled, and that reminds me, he added, pulling out his flask, Good luck to the Bass River limits. He handed the flask to Mr. Sinclair, who eagerly seized it and took a long drink. Goes good sometimes, said the Colonel innocently. While well, here's looking at you, he continued, bowing toward Ranald. And by the Great Sam, you suit me well. If you ever feel like a change of air, indicate the same to Colonel Thorpe. Ah, colonel said mr sinclair who had recovered his easy pleasant manner we can sell limits but not men no by the great sammy replied the colonel using the more emphatic form of his oath ner by well, he added when you have the papers ready let me know good day very well colonel good-bye good-bye The Colonel did not notice Mr. Sinclair's offered hand, but, nodding to Ranald, sauntered out of the office, leaving the two men alone. For a few moments Mr. Sinclair turned over his papers in silence. His face was flushed and smiling. "'Well, that is a most happy deliverance, Ranald,' he said, rubbing his hands. "'But what is the matter? You are not well.' To the lips, Ranald stood looking at his chief with a resolved face. Mr. Sinclair, I wish to offer you my resignation as manager. Nonsense, Ranald, we will say no more about that. I was a little hasty. I hope the change I spoke of will go into immediate effect. I must beg to decline. The words came slowly, sternly, from Ranald's white lips. And why, pray? I have little doubt you can discover the reason mr sinclair a few moments ago for honorable dealing you would have dismissed me it is impossible that i should remain in your employ mr macdonald are you serious in this do you know what you are doing do you know what you are saying mr sinclair rose and faced his manager only too well said ranald with lips that began to quiver and all the more because of what I must say further. Mr. Sinclair, I love your daughter. I have loved her for seven years. It is my one desire in life to gain her for my wife. Mr. Sinclair gazed at him in utter astonishment. And in the same breath, he said at length, you insult me and ask my permission it is vain to ask your permission i fear but it is right that you should know my desire and my purpose your purpose my unalterable purpose you take my daughter out of my house in in spite of my teeth mr sinclair could hardly find words she will come with me said ranald a little proudly and may i ask how you know have you spoken to my daughter i have not spoken to her openly The blood rose in his dark face. But I believe she loves me. Well, Mr. Macdonald, your confidence is only paralleled by your prodigious insolence. I hope not, said Ranald, lowering his head from its proud pose. I have no desire to be insolent. Once more Mr. Sinclair looked at him in silence. Then slowly and with quiet emphasis he said, Mr. Macdonald, you are a determined man but as god lives this purpose of yours you will never carry out i know my daughter i think better than you know her and i tell you here a slight smile of confidence played for a moment on his face she will never be your wife ranald bowed his head it shall be as she wills he said in a grave almost sad voice she shall decide and he passed into his office. All day long Ranald toiled at his desk, leaving himself no time for thought. In the late afternoon Harry came in on his way home. Thanks, old chap, said Ranald, looking up from his work. Shan't be able to come tonight, I am sorry to say. Not come, cried Harry. No, it is impossible. What rot, and Mamie has waited ten days for you. Come along. It is quite impossible, Harry, said Ranald, and I want you to take this note to Mamie. The note will explain to her. But, Ranald, this is— And, Harry, I want to tell you that this is my last day here. Harry gazed at him, speechless. Mr. Sinclair and I have had a difference that can never be made right, and to-night I leave the office for good. Leave the office for good? Going to leave us— what the deuce can the office do without you and what does it all mean come ranald don't be such a confounded sphinx why do you talk such rubbish it is true said ranald though i can hardly realize it myself it is absolutely and finally settled and i say old man don't make it harder for me you don't know what it means to me to leave this place and you and all In spite of his splendid nerve, Ranald's voice shook a little. Harry gazed at him in amazement. "'I will give your note to Mamie,' he said, "'but you will be back here if I know myself. I'll see father about this.' "'Now, Harry,' said Ranald, rising and putting his hand on his shoulder, "'you are not going to mix up in this at all. And for my sake, old chap, don't make any row at home. Promise me.' said ranald again holding him fast well i promise said harry reluctantly but i'll be hanged if i understand it at all and i tell you this that if you don't come back here neither shall i now you are talking rot harry said ranald and sat down again to his desk harry went out in a state of dazed astonishment alone ranald sat in his office writing steadily except that now and then he paused to let a smile flutter across his stern set face as a gleam of sunshine over a rugged rock on a cloudy day he was listening to his heart whose every beat kept singing the refrain i love her i love her she will come to me at that very moment mamie was showing her aunt murray her london dresses and finery and recounting her triumphs in that land of social glory how lovely how wonderfully lovely they are said mrs murray touching the beautiful fabrics with fond fingers and i am sure they will suit you well my dear have you worn most of them no not at all this one i wore the evening i went with the lord archers to the hethcote's ball lord hethcote you know is an uncle of captain de lacy was captain de lacy there inquired mrs murray yes indeed cried Mamie, and we had a lovely time either the memory of that evening brought the warm blushes to her face or it may be the thought of what she was about to tell her aunt and captain de lacy is coming to-morrow coming to-morrow yes he has written to aunt frank and to papa as well Mrs. Murray sat silent, apparently not knowing what to say, and Mamie stood with the dress in her hands, waiting for her aunt to speak. At length, Mrs. Murray said, You knew Captain De Lacey before, I think. Oh, I have known him for a long time, and he's just splendid, Auntie, and he's coming to— Mamie paused, but her face told her secret. Do you mean he is going to speak to your father about you, Mamie? Mamie nodded and are you glad he's very handsome auntie and very nice and he's awfully well connected and that sort of thing and when lord hethcote dies he has a good chance of the estates and the title do you love him Mamie? asked her aunt quietly Mamie dropped the dress and sitting down upon a low stool turned her face from her aunt and looked out of the window oh i suppose so auntie she said he's very nice and gentlemanly and i like to be with him but Mimi, dear are you not sure that you love him oh i don't know said Mimi petulantly are you not pleased auntie well i confess i am surprised i do not know captain de lacy and besides i thought it was-i thought you mrs murray paused while Mamie's face grew hot with fiery blushes. But before she could reply, they heard Harry step on the stairs, and in a moment he burst into the room. "'Ranald isn't coming!' he exclaimed. "'Here's a note for you, Mamie, but what the—' "'But what he means,' said Harry, checking himself, "'I can't make out.' "'Not coming!' cried Mamie, the flush fading from her face. "'What can he mean?' she opened the note and as she read the blood rushed quickly into her face again and as quickly fled leaving her pale and trembling well what does he say inquired harry bluntly he says it is impossible for him to come to-night said maimie putting the note into her bosom <sighs> grunted harry and flung out of the room immediately maimie pulled out the note oh auntie she cried i am so miserable ranald is not coming and he says there read it she hurriedly thrust the note into mrs murray's hands and mrs murray opening it read my dear Mamie, it is impossible for me to go to you to-night your father and i have had a difference so serious that i can never enter his house again but i am writing now to tell you what i meant to tell you to-night I love you, Mamie. I love you with all my heart and soul. I have loved you since the night I pulled you from the fire. Mamie, said mrs Murray, handing her back the note, I do not think you ought to give me this. That is too sacred for any eyes but your own. Oh, I know, auntie, but what can I do? I am so sorry for Ranald. What shall I do, auntie? My dear child, in this neither I nor any one can advise you. You must be true to yourself. Oh, I wish I knew what to do! cried Mamie. He wants me to tell him-Mamie paused, her face once more covered with blushes,--and I do not know what to say. What does your heart say, Mamie? said mrs Murray quietly. Oh, auntie, I am so miserable. "'But Mamie,' continued her aunt, "'in this matter, as I said before, you must be true to yourself. Do you love Ranald?' "'Oh, auntie, I cannot tell,' cried Mamie, putting her face in her hands. "'If Ranald were de Lacey, would you love him?' "'Oh, yes, yes, how happy I would be!' Then Mrs. Murray rose. Mamie dear, she said, and her voice was very gentle but very firm. Let me speak to you for your dear mother's sake. Do not deceive yourself. Do not give your life for anything but love. Ranald is a noble man, and he will be a great man some day, and I love him as my own son, but I would not have you give yourself to him unless you truly loved him she did not mention de lacy's name nor utter a word in comparison of the two but listening to her voice mamie knew only too well whither her love had gone oh auntie she cried i cannot bear it yes mamie dear you can bear to do the right for there is one in whose strength we can do all things before mamie could reply her aunt frances came in it is dinner-time she announced and your father has just come in Mamie, and we must have dinner over at once maimie rose and going to the glass smoothed back her hair her aunt frances glanced at her face and then at mrs murray and as if fearing maimie's reply went on hurriedly you must look your very best to-night and even better to-morrow she said smiling significantly she came and put her hands on maimie's shoulders and kissing her said have you told your aunt murray who is coming to-morrow i am sure i am very thankful my dear you will be very happy it is an excellent match half the girls in town will be wild with envy he has written a very manly letter to your father and i am sure he is a noble fellow and he has excellent prospects but we must hurry down to dinner she said turning to mrs murray who with a look of sadness on her pale face left the room without a word ranald is not coming said mamie when her aunt murray had gone indeed from what your father says cried aunt frank indignantly i do not very well see how he could he has been most impertinent you are not to say that aunt frank cried mamie ranald could not be impertinent and i will not hear it her tone was so haughty and fierce That aunt frank thought it wiser to pursue this subject no further well she said as she turned to leave the room i'm very glad he has the grace to keep away tonight he has always struck me as a young man of some presumption when the door closed upon her mamie tore the note from her bosom and pressed it again and again to her lips oh ranald ranald she cried i love you i love you oh why can it not be oh i cannot i cannot give him up she threw herself upon her knees and laid her face in the bed in a few minutes there came a tap at the door and her aunt frances voice was heard "Mamie, your father has gone down we must not delay the tone was incisive and matter-of-fact it said to Mamie, now let's have no nonsense be a sensible woman of the world Mamie rose from her knees, hastily removing all traces of tears from her face, and glancing in the glass. She touched the little ringlets into place, and went down to dinner. It was a depressing meal. Mr. Sinclair was irritable, Harry perplexed and sullen, Mamie nervously talkative. Mrs. Murray was heroically holding herself in command, but the look of pain in her eyes and the pathetic tremor on her lips belied the brave smiles and cheerful words with which she seconded aunt frank after dinner the company separated for there were still preparations to make for the evening as mrs murray was going to her room she met harry in the hall with his hat on where are you going harry anywhere he growled fiercely to get out of this damnable hypocrisy pardon me aunt murray i can't help it it is damnable and a whole lot of them are in it then mrs murray came and laying her hand on his arm said don't go harry don't leave me i want some one come upstairs harry stood looking at the sweet face trying to smile so bravely in spite of the tremulous lips you are a dear brave little woman he said hanging up his hat and i'll be hanged if i don't stay by you come along upstairs he stooped and lifting her in his arms in spite of her laughing protests carried her upstairs to her room when they came down to the party they both looked braver and stronger the party was a great success the appointments were perfect the music the best that could be had and Mamie more beautiful than ever in some mysterious way known only to aunt frank The rumor of Mamie's approaching engagement got about among the guests, and produced an undertone of excitement to the evening's gaiety. Mamie was too excited to be quite natural, but she had never appeared more brilliant and happy, and surely she had every cause. She had achieved a dizzy summit of social success, that made her at once the subject of her friend's congratulations, and her rival's secret envy and which was the more delightful it would be hard to say truly she was a fortunate girl but still the night was long and she was tired of it all before it was over the room seemed empty and often her heart gave a leap as her eyes fell upon some form that appeared more handsome and striking than others near but only to sink again in disappointment when a second glance told her that it was only some ordinary man kate too kept aloof in a very unpleasant way and harry devoting himself to kate had not done his duty but in spite of everything the party had been a great success and when it was over Mimi went straight to bed to sleep she knew that ranald would be awaiting the answer to his note but she could not bring herself to face what she knew would be an ordeal that might murder sleep for her and sleep she must have for she must be her best to-morrow. It would have been better for all involved had she written her answer that night, otherwise Ranald would not have been standing at her door in the early afternoon asking to see her. It was Aunt Frances who came down to the drawing-room. As Ranald stood up and bowed, she adjusted her pince-nez upon her aristocratic nose, and viewed him you are wishing to see miss st she said in her very chilliest tone i asked to see Mamie," said ranald looking at her with cool steady eyes i must say mr macdonald that after your conduct to my brother yesterday i am surprised you should have the assurance to enter his house i would prefer not discussing office matters with you said ranald politely and with a suspicion of a smile i have come to see Mamie. that i am glad to say is impossible for she is at present out with captain de lacy who has just arrived from the east to see to in short on a very special errand for a moment ranald stood without reply she is out you say he answered at length she is out with captain de lacy he caught the touch of triumph in her voice. "Will she be back soon?" inquired Ranald, looking baffled. "Of course one cannot tell in such a case," answered Miss Sinclair, "but I should think not." Miss Sinclair was enjoying herself; it did her good to see this insolent square-jawed young man standing helpless before her. "It is important that I should see her," said Ranald after a few moments' thought. I shall wait." Had Miss Sinclair known him better she would have noticed with some concern the slow fires kindling in his eyes. As it was she became indignant. "'That, Mr. Macdonald, you shall not, and allow me to say frankly that your boldness, your insolence, I may say, is beyond all bounds.' "'Insolence, and when?' Ranald was very quiet. You come to the house of your employer, whom you have insulted, and demand to see his daughter. I have a right to see her. Right! What right have you, pray? Then Ranald stood up and looked Miss Sinclair full in the face, with eyes fairly alight. Miss Sinclair, have you ever known what it is to love with all your soul and heart? Miss Sinclair gasped. Because if not, you will not understand me if you have you will know why i must see Mamie. it is seven years now since i began to love her i remember the spot in the woods i see the big tree there behind her and the rising ground stretching away to the right i see the place where i pulled her out of the fire every morning since that time i have waked with the thought of her every night my eyes have closed with a vision of her before me it is for her i have lived and worked I tell you she is mine. I love her, I love her, and she loves me, I know it." His words came low, fierce, and swift. Miss Sinclair stood breathless. What a man he looked, and how handsome he was. With but a moment's pause, Ranald went on, but his voice took a gentler tone. "'Miss Sinclair, do you understand me?' "'Yes, I know you do the blood came flowing suddenly to her thin cheeks you say she is out with captain de lacy and you mean me to think that she is to give herself to him he loves her i know but i say she is mine her eyes have told me that she is mine i tell you and no man living will take her from me the fire that always slumbered in his eyes was now blazing in full fury the great passion of his life was raging through his soul vibrating in his voice and glowing in his dark face miss sinclair sat silent and then motioned him to a seat mr macdonald she said with grave courtesy you are too late i fear i did not realize Mamie will never be yours i know my niece at the sad earnestness of her voice ranald's face began to grow pale i will wait for her he said quietly i beg you will not i will wait he repeated with lips tight pressed it is vain mr macdonald i assure you spare yourself and her i know what i could have her voice grew husky I will wait, once more replied Ranald, the lines of his face growing tense. Miss Sinclair rose and gave him her hand. I will send a friend to you, and I beg you to excuse me, Ranald bowed gravely, and to forgive me, and she left the room. Ranald heard her pass through the hall and up the stairs, and then a door closed behind her before he had time to gather his thoughts together he heard a voice outside that made his heart stand still then the front door opened quickly and Mimi and de Lacey stood in the hall she was gaily talking ranald rose and stood with his back to the door before him was a large mirror which reflected the hall through the open door he stood waiting for them to enter hang up your hat captain de lacy then go in and find a chair while i run upstairs cried Mimi gaily you must learn your way about here now no said de lacy in a low distinct voice i can wait no longer Mimi." she looked at him a moment as if in fear come he said holding out his hands to her there was no chance in the park and i can wait no longer slowly she came near my darling my sweetheart he said in a low voice full of intense passion. Then while she lay in his arms he kissed her on the lips twice. Ranald stood gazing in the mirror as if fascinated. As their lips met, a low groan burst from him. He faced about and with a single step stood in the doorway. Shriek after shriek echoed through the house as Mamie sprang from de Lacy's arms and shrank back to the wall. Great heavens, cried de Lacy. Why it's MacDonald. What the deuce do you mean coming in on people like that? What is it, Mamie? cried her aunt Frank, hurrying downstairs. Then she saw Ranald standing in the doorway, with face bloodless, ghastly, livid quickly she went up to him and said in a voice trembling and not ungentle oh why did you wait mr macdonald go away now go away ranald turned and looked at her with a curious uncomprehending gaze and then said yes i will go away he took a step toward Mamie, his eyes like lurid flames she shrank from him while de lacy stepped in his path with a sweep of his arm he brushed De Lacey aside, hurling him crashing against the wall, and stood before the shrinking girl. Goodbye, Mamie. Forget that I loved you once. The words came slowly from his pallid lips. For some moments he stood with his burning eyes fastened upon her face. Then he turned slowly from her and groped blindly for his hat. Miss Sinclair hurried toward him, found his hat, and putting it in his hand, said in a broken voice, while tears poured down her cheeks, Here it is. Good-bye, good-bye. He looked at her a moment as if in surprise, and then, with a smile of rare sweetness on his white lips, he said, I thank you, and passed out, going feebly like a man who has got a death wound. End of chapter 22